0: Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover
1: how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest.
0: A community is essentially just a group of individuals, people who help each other out. That's it. There's, mm-hmm. there's no magical formula for it, except you gotta care about the people in the community. You're not a community just because you all love a brand or because you all use a product, it doesn't make you a community. If you don't help each other, you're not a community. So our tech events, our tech socials, we build true, real communities where people support and help each other out so that we can all do better.
1: Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast from Slash Data. I'm Joe Stitchbury, one of the senior analysts in the team. And today I'm joined by Shaharis from HackerNest. We've not met before, so please could you introduce yourself to me and the listeners?
0: Uh, hi, I'm the CEO and founder of HackerNest. We're a little nonprofit organization that builds technology communities around the world. Uh, at our Heyday peak we were in 32 cities 14 countries five continents and we've run events in 60 cities around the world we've done big innovation hackathons with companies like partners like facebook uh airbnb british government canadian government u.s government the the last stitch of stitchberry of um hackathons that we did was with the us department of state we did the fish hackathon and that was in 35 cities in february of 2018 at which point we realized wow hackathons don't have a ton going for them and despite all of the effort and time and work that we've put into trying to make them fair and useful and innovative we haven't done great the the, the effort to output ratio is way off the charts
1: Okay, so um, we're going to come on to the the theory of hackathons in a bit, but um, before we we get there, let's um, talk a little bit more about careers and and where you've come from. First of all, I guess I should introduce myself um, a bit to you and um, also to the listeners. So um, I was an early mobile developer back in the days of Symbian and I've also worked um, in the mobile phone industry for a number of years for Nokia and Sony Ericsson. I moved later into publishing and technical writing when I realised just how difficult it was um, to find good explanations of some difficult subjects. And since then I've worked with a number of teams in developer marketing. As a writer and a product manager, I've designed developer portals and created a ton of content for developers. Right now I'm working with Slash Data as a senior analyst. And um, I recently edited our multi-author book on developer marketing. So, I guess while I'm on the subject of Slash Data, I should mention our upcoming developer economic survey. If you're listening and you're a developer, we'd love to hear your opinion on a range of topics relating to development and your experience. If you complete the survey, there's a chance to win some amazing prizes and you get to find out the views of your fellow developers in a free report later in the year. There's a link in the description of this podcast for you to find the survey or you can visit survey.developereconomics.com. So, back to you. Now, Shaharis, I'm gonna ask you a little bit about Hackernest. You're not Hacker Noon, you're not Hacker News. Um, Where are you based?
0: We are in Toronto. That's the headquarters for now. But uh, as an organization that runs remote events all around the world, technically we're based everywhere. We're coming for you. (laughs)
1: Yes, And, and how long have you been doing that?
0: uh since dinosaurs roamed the earth and i had hair that was that was what eight years ago eight years
1: right wow i see and you've been in that and you've been in your current role for eight years or have you have you done other things
0: uh it's primarily been hacker and some consulting work on the side i've done yeah, like that's that's basically sustained us. Our nonprofit is particularly not profitable because I'm a terrible business person. It's it's like I, yeah, it's it's like I choose to lose money because that's my secret skill.
1: <laughs> so, when you when you were a kid and you were kind of you know, working out what you wanted to to do as a career, was was losing money in a nonprofit um, part of your big game plan? Um, Actually, or did uh, you something else?
0: sort of actually i mean i've uh, always kind of wanted to save the world yeah. and i think hackernest is a pretty good permutation of what can be done to try doing that um, yeah. i mean i, I work in a lot of different fields i used to work for the united nations development program on hiv and aids i worked at a private equity firm that uh, we bought and sold chocolate factories in Southeast Asia. It was really random. And I remember once we, we were, this my my most enduring memory is we had this 16 pound block of chocolate and we were going through immigration in Singapore, uh, going back to Malaysia. And the immigration officer was like, what's this? It looks like drugs. And I'm like, no, it's chocolate. And they're like, well, if it's chocolate, we're going to have to run off the tax a chunk of your chunk. <laughs> and they snipped off a good third of it and kept it. And that was, that's my memory of private equity guys, good stuff, <laughs> real fun. I worked in advertising, um, with DDB. I did, uh, all kinds of not lying, but bending of the truth, writing ads for companies and whatnot. Uh, I got the brand, the city, which is pretty cool. And the, um, see what else. I, I was a project manager for a software development firm. We built online loan financing software. Um, and I ran three startups into the ground. I did a co-working space. I've done everything that you can imagine that won't kill you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when when you were when you were taking your chocolate through customs in Singapore, did you did you ever think that you'd kind of end up here running a nonprofit that was all about Um, getting developers together to build communities?
0: I sort of did. I mean, so the the whole theory behind Hackerness and the purpose is to connect everybody so that we can build a better future together, right? Like two heads are better than one and it's really difficult to do great things alone, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, how many solo founders still exist? No, they, sure, they come up with the idea, but without an army backing them, a massive company, they can't influence and inflect change on the world at a level that can really, really make a difference. Right? Like all, all the biggest companies in the world have huge impact.
1: Mm, yeah. I see what you mean. I see what you're saying. Developers are, well, as we've discussed in some of our other podcasts which or may not have heard and, and, and the same in the book, we say developers are a kind of tough audience because they're pretty cynical about marketing and they're cynical about messages that uh, coming from people that perhaps don't have their background. I think, you know, quite a few maybe a bit Possibly a bit arrogant or maybe they just feel that their their, their um, Experience is hard one from hours an sitting in front of an ID debugging the same thing Although it sounds like you've had that experience too. So um, I guess from that point of view you do have something in common But um, I, I have
0: goodness. lots of things in common with developers and that's mostly the understanding of the world I, I think that the negative stereotypes Pushed against developers are fairly ill founded and actually just that stereotypes, right? Like, developers are pretty chill people. Yes, some of them really, really love their code and really love the exact way that they do it. Sure, there are some developers who have um, incredibly stubborn points of view, but that's the case with anyone, anywhere, in any sort of profession, mm-hmm. right? I, I yeah. just think that it's been highlighted in developers. Because They're not necessarily developers interact more with computers and machines than they do with people. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the, the nature of the job. So social skills might not be as polished as somebody who interacts all day, all the time with other individuals. Like if you're in customer support or tech support even. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think that the jadedness and the cynicism against, Things like HR and marketing and whatnot are mostly because people have tried to take advantage of developers all the damn time. If you go to an event, a tech event, right, it's, the conversation is usually, oh, hey, you're a developer. Fantastic. I've got this great startup idea. If you build it for me, get me users, develop all the code, give me some content. I will give you 3% of this company. It is <laughs> a deal. You should work for me. Right? Like, they, they get that all the time. That sucks. Right? People, people look at them, they stereotype them, and don't actually ever get to know them. So the events that we run, these tech socials that bring together developers, we encourage people to drop the image, to drop that perfectness that they need to have in the corporate world all the damn time, right? Like I, in front of a room of 500 people on a microphone, I will say the word f- And it's not because I'm rude. It's because it's a, it's a tactic. It's a tool when I, when I use profanity in front of so many people, it does three things. First people start listening because they're like, Oh, did he actually just say that in front of 500 people? Okay, sure. Idiot. Uh, second, they're like, well, he's probably not trying to sell me anything because nobody would be stupid enough to use profanity in front of such a large group of people if they were. So they start trusting the things that I have to say more. And the third thing is for my events, it lets people know that it's okay to do it themselves right? Like, I want you to come here. I want you to nerd out with a bunch of other people. I want you to really communicate. I want you to build trusted relationships at the event because the community is what guides the community. There is no overarching body that unites and brings together the tech industry. You have, you know, dentistry and and medical associations and, and these sorts of organizations provide the overarching impetus or or, or guidance for that community, but there's no such thing for tech because we're so disparate. We're so disjointed. We're all over the place. There's so many of us, but no unifying factor. Hackerness hopes to correct and fix that right by by establishing and developing communities of developers. We we're able to create standards and expectations of ourselves and others that we can hold each other to. We can, we can guide towards good outcomes. We can, we can advise towards things that people should do and avoid the toxic and the wrong and the bad, right? Like anonymous exists. And that's sort of a developer overarching conscience in a vigilante sense of, of the word. But, um, we're, we're, we're not exactly that, but like, it's good to have, a place, a group of people that you can rely on, that you, you can turn to when, when, you're, when you're spending your time building the future, as it were, because developers build stuff, right? Like we, we build things to save people from boredom. We build things to save lives. We build, you know, medical instruments and, and devices and technologies to help people walk again. We build stuff that's supposed to save you time, money, effort. We're essentially building stuff to save the world this is a lot to put on anybody's shoulders and it's hard to do it alone so the tech socials we we, we connect people so you can support each other and in this way i feel that developers can get to know each other in a more visceral level in a truer level in a more i hate this word authentic way that doesn't just expose them as oh you're a neckbeard who hates people and interacts with a screen and will talk nerd to me right like that's Sorry, I kind of went on a yeah, tangent yeah. there.
1: No, no, that's really good. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I like you, I dislike the word authentic. And, and I, I'm just wondering, I particularly dislike the kind of um, community and community ethos that is sometimes foisted on developers by corporates that want to build a community. Um, so, you know, you'll have a contributor agreement. That's, that's fair enough. But then sometimes I feel like communities are being... Defined by the wrong people the people that want the communities to succeed because they've got something to sell are the ones that are saying this is how you're going to be you're going to be playful you're going to have these colors you're going to like these characters rather sure. than saying developers who are you
0: i see so uh what you're saying is that a lot of communities intend to foster and push an identity onto developers as to how they should be or communities in general right like if you're a part of the world saving community you should give up all of your worldly possessions, meditate three times a day, et cetera, et cetera. So I disagree with a lot of that. Hacker Nest, sure, we have an identity and that identity mm-hmm. is practicality, honesty, and directness. Um, but that's sort of just our way of being as opposed to what we're telling people to be. Uh, a community is essentially just a group of individuals, people who help each other out. That's it. There's, mm-hmm. there's no magical formula for it, except You got to care about the people in the community. You're not a community just because you all love a brand or because you all use a product doesn't make you a community. If you don't help each other, you're not a community. So our tech events, our tech socials, we build true, real communities where people support and help each other out so that we can all do better.
1: Yep, that sounds great. So so tell us about some of your communities. Um, where where are they? What are they doing? And, you know, who are they?
0: We've been in a bit of a sort of revamp mode for the past year. We we grew way, way too quickly. Um, we, we ended up like exploding into 32 cities and we didn't have very good infrastructure. And it ended up being that pretty much anything that happened in any given city had to come back through headquarters and us being just this again, tiny nonprofit that didn't have a ton of experience building nonprofits, um, we, we didn't scale. So we sort of crumpled under our own weight. And we actually shut down, not shut down, we put on hiatus uh, two-thirds of our cities in the last year and have been revamping everything from scratch, rebuilding stuff. Uh, the, the, the people need to be more central in our execution of our mission. And that mission is to connect people.
1: Mm, mm, I see. Did that but, answer your
0: question in the least? Because yeah, I'm yeah, not even but, sure.
1: It, well, it didn't tell us where you, where you were or who they were, but it kind of it, it led on actually to another of my questions, which was, um, you know, have you made mistakes? And, you know, what, what was your biggest challenge and what did you learn from it? And it sounds to me like you kind of answered that, but perhaps you could expand a bit on, you know, how you detected that you, you hit a problem and decided that you had to go on hiatus.
0: HackerNest is supposed to be headless. It's HackerNest is not supposed to be about HackerNest. It's supposed to be about the people who are actually physically at the tech social connecting with each other. Um, Mm. And what we ended up being was like a central organizing factor in all of these different cities, but that doesn't make sense. You should be organizing. You should be running your city. You know it better than I do. Why am I helping you pick a venue? That doesn't make sense. Why, why am I telling you how the flavor or identity of your community should be? That's, that's not what we do. So instead we, we, we have this very simple structure and formula of here's what you can do to run an event that brings people together where everyone can communicate freely, even if you're super introverted, it's so easy to communicate at our events. We are, they're incredibly loud, not because we play music because honestly, music does not help conversation. Um, but because everyone's interacting with everyone, how do we do that? Right? Like that's, that's the sort of, um, that's a, that it's, it's something that took eight years to craft, uh, this, you know, th- these tactics that we have and, and it's everything from even just handwriting name tags. We, we had 500, 600 people coming out to our events and we would still handwrite every single name tag. Most other, you know, institutions, event runners, producers, they'd just be like, well, that's dumb. What you should do is really you need to print out all these name tags. You need to put them on a table and then people come and they take their name tag, put it on themselves and they walk in no lines. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't make sense. What, why, why wouldn't you want to see lines that photographs really great. It's fantastic marketing for the event. Uh, but also we handwrite each name tag. We um, smile. We write your name. We, we give that to you and you say, thank you. You have a positive Social interaction with us before you even enter my event and that for an introvert that for a developer can make a whole world of difference so there's there's hundreds of little tweets of little things like that that we do to Make sure that the environment that we've created is one that's conducive to real true connections I hate I I hate saying the word connections. I hate saying the word authentic. I hate saying the word Synergy so much and I'm just so angst-ridden (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Well my favourites are leverage and utilise actually, but synergy is oh, wow. definitely yeah. up there. Yeah. <laughs> so coming back to your um, you know, those little tweaks, I think that's that's a really interesting point. And I'm kind of minded of the um the British cycling team for I think it was the recent Olympics, I'm not sure which one it was, actually maybe it was London twenty twelve, um, mm-hmm. where they decided that they would um look at all the tiny little things that they could do to help their athletes from improving their sleep by getting them the kind of pillows they liked to looking into the fabrics of, you know, the clothes that they were wearing and finding the most comfortable it's things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, but just that, that tiny adjustment, the kaizen, I guess, that you'd have in, in Japan where you're constantly refining your process mm-hmm. um, seems to, it seems to really contribute to, um, you know, the, the sun being greater than the, the parts. Um, I want to go back to your point about lines actually because I was at an event in London this this week and it was raining because it's London and it's June and um, most of the event was outside and so all the lines and the Mm -hmm. line for registration, it was misery. We were stood in the rain. The line was very long just to get our name tag, and they were printing them, but I don't know, for some reason they were printing them really slowly. So in that case, the marketing wasn't great because people were taking pictures of the lines and bedraggled um, conference delegates standing there oh. looking pissed off and tweeting that this is no good, the organization's poor, why can't you organize your registration better? So you can do that in a sunny country, and I guess you're in Canada, aren't you? So maybe um Our vets
0: aren't far. outdoors. Our tech yeah. socials are inside. No well, one standing in the rain.
1: Clear. Yeah, don't put developers outside. Developers don't do outside.
0: I think <laughs> that's probably what we can take from us. <laughs> oh, that's not necessarily true. I mean, we, we, we had a, a barbecue outdoors once, and we ended up having like 75 people show up. This was one of the very first events that we did, and it was great. It was fantastic. A lot of hot dogs. But um, I feel like when I say lines are good to photograph and whatnot, I mean that the process, it is worth standing in line to create that interaction of positivity of smile here is your name tag enjoy have mm-hmm. fun inside is this your first time That like that sort of communication and whatnot it, it chills people out it's relaxed I think I think it's worth waiting in line for 30 seconds in order to have that so I think yeah, yeah it's not necessarily a yeah, no. bad thing
1: no, I I agree. I think that uh, does make a lot of sense. And on that whole, you know, introvert extrovert thing, mm-hmm. do you think um, you've been in you've been in the business a while? Do you think that the, the nature of developers has changed? I mean, we've talked already about stereotypes. Do you, do you see more people kind of um, becoming more extroverters? You know, the the, the the population of developers shifts and more people are encouraged into it? Or do you think perhaps now people are more introverted because um, of all those great books about introverts, people are actually kind of happier to fess up to the fact that, you know, they're introverts and um, they're proud of it.
0: So one of the things that hackernest stood for right at the start was to build these supportive, strong communities, actual communities, because, there has always been a lot of negativity associated with being an nerd, right? Like once upon, so 40 years ago, if you had a parent that was an accountant, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be an accountant, right? Like that, that's just, this is how it is. Now people have infinite choice. Now people can go read a blog about what it's like to be an astronaut. Now they can go learn how to code on, um, online at, at any of a dozen of different, uh, Online free boot camps. And because of this mammoth array of choices that are available to people, people choose to be developers now, right? Like it, it, they, they don't accidentally stumble into it. People actively seek it out because, you know, there's been so much success. Technology has had such a, a massive change on the surface of this planet and on our, on the nature of our civilization and how we interact with our daily world, right? Like most people spend more time on their phones than they do actually sitting and talking to real human beings. Uh, th- this, this sort of shift and change I think has allowed more people to come into the fold. I don't think it's changed the critical core developer element of or, or technologist element of, being more comfortable interacting with machines than than people i think that it's brought more approval into the fold so mm-hmm. there's some people who say that the world is getting worse they're like hey every every news article i read every every uh, you know news flash video is is about something horrible somebody hurting somebody else some horrible meltdown somewhere somebody oppressing someone else like or or, or even pretty brutality right like I don't think that these things have magically started happening now. I think that we've had so much more coverage because everyone's got a little device that can record everything around them. I think things are coming out to the forefront more. I think the world is getting better. I think, I think people are, are learning how to be better. I just think there's a lot more exposure on the people who are already doing the bad things, getting more publicity. And I Actually, I yes, there's more reports of bad things happening, but I think people are learning from that. I think we're learning to denigrate that and say, hey, look, you really should not beat an unarmed person senseless for no apparent reason. And you should be shamed for doing that. So I I think that um, change isn't really necessarily change. I think it just might be revelation.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yes. And I think um, certainly from the news cycles, people are starting to realise that um, giving people the oxygen of publicity when they've done bad things is not necessarily a good thing. So obviously you talk about the bad event, but you don't name the the terrorist that um, shot the people in New Zealand in a mosque. You know, you don't don't name them and you don't talk about the bad
0: you're never going to say, oh, hey, yeah, this police officer who let off this teenager with a warning because it wasn't that big of a crime and, you know, helped change that teenager's life by giving them a little bit of clemency in a world where everything is against them. Where's that story? Mm-hmm. You're not going to read that. You're going you're to read the one about the kid who got shot. Like, that's, this is what news covers. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's very. Not
0: that I'm cynical or bitter or anything. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's, let's come back to um, your blog post, um, sure. which is something that I, I um, read quite recently. So it's about, um, well, it's called Reasons Not to Run Hackathons, and for people listening, it's at hn.fo slash hackathons. We'll put a link in the, um, in the podcast description. So could you, for people that haven't read it yet and um, yeah. are going to listen um, before they rush off to read it, could you give us a summary first, please?
0: So for the vast majority of people who read this, I've run more hackathons than you and run them with larger companies. And I have this experience and I've spent more time trying to make hackathons really effective and successful and good. And I want to share my experience with people so that they understand that there's a better way of doing things, that there can be better ways of doing things. If you still want to run a hackathon after reading my article, fantastic, right? at least you'll now know the pitfalls that I've said, hey, you should watch out for these several things because this is what happens at the vast majority of hackathons. I want people to have better experiences. So I don't denigrate hackathons in general, just mm-hmm. a very particular slice of hackathons. There are all kinds of wonderful, useful, absolutely beneficial hackathons, internal company hackathons. I mean, Facebook, I think they still do this, but they, they, they run a hackathon every single week. And you know things like the like button emerged out of a hackathon and that's great. Because the people who are working on that hackathon have something to do with the product. When you have a public innovation hackathon, when you do, when you're, say, a company, like, let's arbitrarily pick something. Uh, actually, I kind of don't want to name corporate names here. So if you're a company and you're like, oh, wow, we're, we work in construction. We, we should have a hackathon because, you know, everyone loves technology all these well. And, and, and we can get fresh new ideas from, from a bunch of nerds. We just need to throw pizza and beer at them and they'll be happy and then they'll, they'll come up with like a time travel cement mixer app and it's great. Um, that is the hackathon that I'm rallying against where you try and get a bunch of random people who don't have a ton of experience working in any particular theme or subject that, that you're running the hackathon for and, and saying to them, hey, solve our problems. And you've got 24 hours and you hmm. should You know do all of your code in these 24 hours and you shouldn't sleep you should you should be sleep deprived and when you demo You you shouldn't show off the code that you've built but instead the interface and the pretty design that you developed and And talk to us about the business logic and how you're going to monetize on that because you know that that's really part of hacking When, when 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 you pull all of these different factors together you get really weak quality output because hackathon isn't enough time to, to really innovate. This is not how real innovation happens. It is hyped up by the media press, love the story of this, this group of random kids who formed at a hackathon and accidentally built an amazing time travel app, right? Like people love that story because it's, it, it's cool, but it's not real, it's artificial. And so, the the article really helps to expose a lot of the flaws of hackathons that producers never think about because the metric for success is i can get as many people as i can sitting in all of these chairs i take photos of them and then i have a successful event it doesn't matter what the outcomes are it doesn't matter if something actually gets developed that saves the world because i'm not going to follow up i don't own that company i have no stake in it what's the point so um when you're looking to have other people innovate for you as a company, you're setting yourself up for massive failure Um, from, from the fact that the vast majority of hackathons teams are not going to survive the weekend. They come together, they ad hoc form because it just happens that Sue, Bob and Marley are are available for this particular weekend to spend their whole weekend working on some, you know, harebrained idea that we came up with in an hour because, well, we, we have to do it quickly. And, 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 and the solution that we're working on is the simplest, easiest, smallest problem that we can fix elegantly because we're not really trying to solve problems. We're trying to build something pretty enough to win a demo, to convince mm-hmm. those judges who have no idea what they're doing because quite frankly, unlike a VC or an investor who sits and watches dozens of demos every single day and is actually evaluating them unlike somebody who's doing code review on, on other people's products every single day they have no calibration for being able to tell what's good and what's not right in any given hackathon let's say you've got 15 demos right like we'll call it a tiny hackathon of 15 yeah. demos and really hackathons go up to like 100 plus demos depending on the number of teams that you have and the size and the marketing you've pumped into it um Usually, it's it's done one after the other. The demos will be demo, pitch, judge Q&A, demo, pitch, judge Q&A, demo, pitch, judge Q&A. These all start rolling together. And this is the first exposure judges, who often are not professional judges, have to these products. And it's an enormous amount of stuff to absorb. And so what happens after about four or five demos running one after the other is that everything starts rolling together and judges start forgetting. This is just human nature and psychology and people's brain capacity for absorbing new information in a very short amount of time. So the judging itself is fundamentally flawed because judges don't know what they're judging. They don't know what's good and what's not. All they can do is look at the shiniest, prettiest thing and say, "Oh, well, chances are because it looks so great and the team is so polished and their their presenter is so charismatic." They're probably a they're yeah, their quote is probably good. Let's let's assume it works and give them X points, right? But the first five to ten teams that you judge, you have no basis for comparison. Right? Like the score that you give that first team is based on nothing at all because you don't know how they are relative to any of the other teams. So judging itself is fundamentally flawed. It's conducted by people who don't judge stuff. Generally speaking, who don't understand all the permutations and nature of the complexity of what people are building. It's done by people who don't have, you know, a a huge incentive to, to stick with a project. It's a fun thing to do for a weekend. It's great to learn code. It's, it's a great way to bond with your pals. But are you really going to quit your job? Are you going to quit school? Are you going to spend the next six years developing this product, managing a team, raising finances and whatnot to to build the next Facebook? Really? Is that what you're going to do with your hackathon project? Probably not. I ramble a lot, so you're going to have to actually tell me to stop talking if
1: you want me to stop okay. talking. <laughs> okay, I'll button in. No, I think <laughs> everything you're saying is making so much sense. You know, it seems to me that you've got, um, you've got a flawed model of the attendees. You've got a flawed model of the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, there it seems to be very little right with it. And something else I'd like to raise, although I think you, you did cover it slightly when you said, you know, it's Sue, Bob and Marley that happened to be available do you feel that there's a diversity issue as well with uh, with hackathons because my sense and i'm you know i'm a working mother is that most hackathons run across the weekend and, and i just personally simply cannot get away at the weekend i have a second shift every evening and i have childcare that i have to perform at weekends so do you feel and i'm you know I, it's not just me there's a lot of families that mm-hmm. require one or both parents to be present at the weekend how how can you have diversity of experience and that's just going on you know my experience as a, as a white woman you know there might be people that are looking after elderly relatives because their particular cultural model means everybody's living together and supporting yep. one another or there might be people who they may be younger than me but they still have a family because they you know they have kids young younger um, maybe they've got five or six of them or whatever You know, do you feel that there's a diversity issue with hackathons as well
0: i don't i I really don't I think the diversity of experience um sure I, I don't think there's a so let, let me let me clarify what I'm saying so diversity in terms of representation from different minority groups not really my, like my hackathons are united colors of Benetton ads right mm-hmm. and and the ages of the people that participate are anywhere from like seven at a hackathon and they're one of the winners and it's great uh, to the, the oldest participant I've had was uh seventy two so years old wow. yeah right um, we ran something called dementia hack with Facebook and the British government and the Canadian government, and this was a hackathon to help people who have dementia and their caregivers right because this is a this is a group of people who don't have a lot of products being built for them are you really as a product marketer as a product developer going to physically go to a nursing home sit with somebody who has dementia and say to them hey um, Mary you're terrified of me because you have no idea who i am but can you please tell me a you know a, a laundry list of all the problems that you have in your daily life so i can figure out if i can monetize on one of them please <laughs> no one's going to do that it's awkward as hell it's painful interacting with people with dementia because because you don't know how to deal with it and they don't know how to deal with it and like you're trying to get something from the, it's it's a very weird experience and it sucks and there's not a lot of understanding around how to interact with folks who have dementia and 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 people will get hurt if you forget them right like it sucks when when somebody doesn't recognize you there's so much awkwardness built into it and we ran hackathon just for this and we ran three of them and it was a great success it was was really successful we offered daycare
1: well this is it this is what you need yeah
0: we offered daycare because Chances are, if you really, really care about this issue, you are connected to somebody who has dementia. You, you, are, you have an elderly parent. You have an uncle. You have a, a friend who's currently suffering from all these maladies that can be addressed fairly easily by technology. But there's not a lot of stuff being built for people with dementia because no one does the market and product research on them because it's awkward. And like disposable income is attached to teens, teens, and yuppies teens, tweens, and yuppies, right? Like mm-hmm. you're building products for, for people who have disposable income, not for people who are on fixed incomes and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. so we had, we, we tried to do the most logical and practical things to make sure that the products that were developed ended up being really successful. We gave away about $80,000 worth of prizes so that we could encourage real true companies to form after dementia mm-hmm. hack, right? It, I think it, was, it was maybe the second one that we did, our ability to bring and pull people together around this theme, this cause, this focus was not marred by a lack of capacity to participate, except in terms of people who were caregivers and couldn't get respite. Now, if you could find somebody to cover for you, to take care of your ailing grandmother, while you came to participate in this hackathon and we, and, and this was a fantastic hackathon, hackathon for diversity. We had 42% female representation at this hackathon. It was amazing. When you, when you consider that a lot of other hackathons have barely 4% of their population of participants being female, right? Like that's, yeah. that, that, that was a huge, crazy, stunning realization factor. We had nurses, we had six PhD, no, was it six? It was either six or thirteen PhDs. It was one of those numbers. We had a ton of PhDs participating. We had doctors. We had clinicians. We had nurses. We had people who had dementia. We had so many people participating in Dementia Hack, helping to build and develop products to help folks. It was it was really quite intense. So, in a word, no. There's no problem of diversity unless you don't do it right. There's a problem yeah. of diversity when you do not cater for it. There's a problem of diversity when you do not realize that there is a problem and don't do anything to accommodate and address it, right? So I, I sat on uh, the, couple of years back, uh, Deputy Mayor's Innovation and Technology Council, and I was one of, man, I should probably keep names out of, I was, I was one of 46 people sitting in a room that was advising the city on what to do about technology and how to improve the state of the city in tech and innovation. And there were four women there and I, I was not one of these women and I felt so disingenuous when I was the one who brought up that yeah putting all of this cash behind extracurricular programs in university for to, to encourage more women participating in STEM yeah it's a great idea but it's too late right you need to get people when they're really young you need to go if you there are a bunch of studies I, probably more than a decade ago at this point that we're showing that the vast, vast majority, something like 90 ish percent of the dropout of STEM related electives of girls happened between the ages of 13 and 15 as that's middle and high school because that's when social pressure starts building up and it starts scaring people away and saying, Oh, you know what? You shouldn't wear those glasses. You don't look cool. Or, um, you should you, no one's going to like a girl who's sitting and interacting with computers this is the shit that gets splattered on on on, on girls right like this is that was a really ugly analogy i'm sorry for making that uh, but this is the kind of crap that girls deal with you ask me hey who makes better coders guys or girls i will of course say guys why because from from this tall guys have been told oh yeah if you're smart You're strong. If you if you do well, you will be respected. Be strong. What are girls told? Look good. Uh, Keep quiet. Right? Stupid stuff like that. What are they told? Oh yeah, guys like girls who are pretty and and not smarter than them. Like that is the crap that our society fosters on little girls, and you expect that sort of treatment to result in encouragement in uh, strength, in force of will, in in a betterment, in a skill? No, of course not. They've been pushed down their entire lives, their entire worlds, right? Guys have been given every advantage and girls have just been stomped on. And that's not cool. So if you wanna change, you wanna fix the diversity issue in tech, you have to go to middle school
1: you have to tell
0: girls that it's okay to do this, that it's not uncool.
1: So, as a, as a woman in development, um, it's something yep. that's of particular interest to me, and I recently um, wrote a short piece in our developer State of the Nation report um, from uh, one of the waves of our surveys, looking yep. at the, um, mm-hmm. comparing the difference in uh, proportions of men and women, and I think it was about 91% uh, men, uh, male developers to 9% women, yep. um, but then that um, becomes even worse when you look at seniority. So when you look at the C level um, between the ages of 25 and 34, there are three times as many men as there are women um, in those in those roles. In terms of you know, once once you take out the fact that there's a, a mismatch in the number of people answering the survey in the first place, so it's it's appalling that women. Even if they are actually entering the field, which, as you say, there's quite a lot of reason why they're not, um, they're never even allowed to progress beyond a certain point in their career before either they're dropping out, or they're discouraged, or they're not promoted. And you know, at the moment, I'm not absolutely sure which one of those it is, but certainly is a. As a senior woman developer myself, I would say that you know, and this is coming back to the whole point about um, you know childcare and and families and the second shift is that yeah. it makes it very difficult to be part of the team, to be one of the guys when you're the one that's leaving at four thirty to do school pickup, and you're not available at weekends to do the team building where you all go ice skating. It's very difficult when you can't go to the conference and meet and greet and network because you're the one that's got to manage the school holidays. Ever. And so, you know, your mention of daycare—I know it was daycare for, you know, respite care for the dementia. But why don't more conferences and hackathons offer care facilities, or at least give you vouchers back that you can spend on child care of your own choosing, so that women—and well, men as well—but let's face it, it is mostly women—are able to attend these events and do what they need to do to get themselves up the career ladder without being held back by their other responsibilities?
0: A few things. So I can't really, really speak for other people because I'm not dumb and I don't really understand what drives most of their decision-making in events, but it's expensive, it's not cheap, right? Uh, events tend to have a fairly low margin of income and being a nonprofit that doesn't make money off of the events, period, <laughs> right? Like. It is it is it is a painful cost. That is one. Uh, second is that the marketing and the people that are coming out are the people that they're actually marketing to. So I'm not trying to. If if I'm if I'm a, if I'm running a tech event and a hackathon, I'm not looking for the 57 year old parent who has to t- still take care of their teenage children or or, or whatever, because the people I'm trying to market to are between the ages of 19 and 37 male white have good engineering backgrounds and disposable income right like that's the that's the mm-hmm. person that's going to make my sponsor who's trying to hire these people want to give me more money right mm-hmm. in, t- in in companies technically and I think this is North America I'm not sure if it's Canada or, or the US you can't actually ask if someone has kids as, as part of a factor in, in, in a job interview, do you have children? Because, or, or are you planning on having children? Because I don't, I don't want to give maternity leave. I don't, wanna, I don't want you gone for nine months in mm-hmm. the middle of my product development cycle. They can't say that, but that's what they're thinking, right? And it's, it's a sad fact. It's a sad reality. But we can change that. We just can't change it at, at this level. You can't, you can't go to a company and tell them who to hire. You can't tell them stop doing a meritocracy, stop picking the best person for the job just because the best person for the job happens to be a guy right now, because he's received encouragement his whole life and support from family, friends, society, right? Saying, no, you have to hire a woman or you have to hire a black person or an Asian person or whatever the hell it is. That's not going to make the company better. It's just going to hurt the economy. Trying to fix it at that level won't work. You have to go young. You have to go early. You have to address and accommodate for these things and build it in as part of culture. You need to change the dialogue that you have with your little girls. Stop calling them pretty. Stop calling them cute and beautiful. Say they're strong. Say they're smart. Say they're talented. Say they're brave. Do that, right? Like, that's what, that's, if I could go to 100,000 teachers and 100,000 parents and say one thing to them, that is it. That is change the dialogue that you have with your children, right? Make them stronger.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic advice. So having changed the world in that way, um, let's come back very specifically to hackathons and your reasons not to run hackathons. Can we talk briefly about scenarios where... You know, you can find something better. So maybe I should just um, sort of drop in the fact that in our, in our recent developer marketing book, we had a chapter from Atlassian on this very subject, where they were talking about you know just how um, hackathons didn't work for them, and they were talking about um, an alternative that they found that was very useful, which was that they got developers together that were wanting to write. I think it was plugins for Confluence. Mm-hmm. Uh, or plugins for one of their products, and they said right instead of you know just getting people to hack we're going to say right we'll put some experts on the floor, you can have a week, it's like a conference, you can learn from the experts, and mm-hmm. you can all sit together and you form teams, and you work you know you're collaborating, but at the end of the day, we want something that we can put in the store that you sell as you know your company, so that you know we get something out of it, we get something new in the store that has been you know created together um, but you also get something from it so it's kind of a hackathon but at the same time it's giving more time and it's well directed is that that kind of way where you're coming from or or what would be your advice for alternatives
0: that's one step towards actual practicality so we're actually in the process of creating something called the practical radical innovation methodology or prime i'm so proud of that Mm -hmm. acronym you don't even understand but the idea is that if you want skilled quality people working on innovations that are relevant to your company why are you only making your staff and team members mentors on these teams why are they not part of these teams why are they not building and helping the team guide them along an innovation process with their knowledge with their understanding when you have a mentor at a hackathon it's a good effort we we were I think we were one of the, the first hackathons that ended up actually physically having mentors who were product and, and, and industry experts coming to advise our teams on their product development. Um, yet there, there's not a lot of exposure. How are you supposed to download 10 years of experience and expertise and knowledge and understanding into somebody who's interested in building the simplest, easiest fix in the shortest amount of time? That doesn't work. And if you have 100 teams, you can't really spend an hour with each of them explaining to any sort of um, useful end how to make their products good. And, and also, it's inefficient because you're not actually taking advantage of all of the innovation in the room. You're, you're, you're creating little pockets, silos of innovation that are competing against each other that are trying to hide ideas from each other and not share them. Because what if you steal my idea and you win? I will feel bad about that, so I'm going to keep quiet. If you have 300 smart people in a room, why are you only allowing five of them or six of them at a time to share ideas and work together and get smart? I think the fundamental concept of hackathons is insanely flawed. And so the practical radical innovation methodology says you should have a handful of people working on something. They should all be experts. They should all be handpicked. You shouldn't have randoms. They should be people from your company, from your organization and institution working on this because they are at the trench level. They understand all of the things that are wrong. In any sort of mental health elder care or dementia related hackathon, you will end up with somebody building a product that is a tracking device. Oh, Grandpa wanders and he gets lost. So what do we do? We're going to put an Apple watch on this guy and we're going to track him. And they leave the house. Alarm goes off. Family members get called. We GPS that person and we hunt them down. We bring them back. Grandpa's safe. Yes. Okay. Good thought. Everyone else in the world has had that as well. Why doesn't it work? Because when grandpa has this device on his wrist, and he thinks he's in the 1960s and he doesn't know what this thing is. And he's terrified. He takes a knife. He cuts off the device. <laughs> right? Like it's, it's, there was a hackathon. I think it was hack for Cuba or something where people were building applications for people in Cuba and they were building like iOS applications. <laughs> and at that time, Cubans don't have iPhones. They had feature phones. They, they, they don't have smart, they didn't have that. But there is this hackathon in the United States that's focusing on building apps just for them. So there's not a lot of thought put into things like these realizations should be blunt and blatant and obvious. But when you're so narrow-minded and focused on pleasing your sponsor, on, on innovation, on tooting your own freaking horn, and you don't consider the real experience of people around that you're supposed to be helping, that you're supposed to be impacting, that's where you fail. So it only makes sense to have people who are continually thinking about the people that they're meant to be supporting, participating in this hackathon. You shouldn't have a high school student who's 13 or 15 or 16 or whatever the hell, uh, how old are kids these days? (laughs) You shouldn't have somebody who has no relationship and no understanding of the end um, user participating unless they are backed and fought and, 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 and supported by people who do if you just have a team of kids trying to build something for someone that they've never interacted with, how useful is that? Put a person on the team with that experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there are so many good points that you've made. I could talk with you all day about this, but we're running out of time. So um, I think we'll, we'll, um, we'll finish there. And I'll um, just thank you very much. Haris. It's been, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you to the listener. Thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, a podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations and also saving the world, I think. If you want to listen to other episodes, you can subscribe at developermarketingpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at slash datahq for regular updates. And um, don't forget to check out the Developer Economic Survey to win some amazing prizes. A reminder that you can find a link in the description for this podcast for you to find the survey, or you can visit survey.developereconomics.com. And Shaharis, I look forward very much to hearing more about the practical radical innovation methodology, Prime. It's, it's amazing. And I do hope our listeners will check out your website, which is, I believe hackness.com. Yes, it is.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for putting up with my profanity and, long rambly stories
1: (laughs) not at all in fact i'm sure we're going to use one of those as a call out to promote the (laughs) uh, the episode
0: (laughs) fantastic